Daniel Moore is a prolific artist known to document iconic moments in Southeastern Conference football history. But today, he's staring at a blank canvas. The problem isn't inspiration. The problem is too many options. It's football time in Tennessee. Daniel has been commissioned to create a painting to represent 34 years of John Ward's legendary career. Images are racing through his head. Tony Gault, ladies and gentlemen, is running all the way to the state capitol. So many images accentuated by indelible pictures already virtually painted by John for 34 years. There are so many moments in Ward's career that Daniel Moore will encircle the canvas with a collage of moments bordering the featured image. But those are still not the moment. What should the moment be? And then it hits him. He knows just the moment that would portray John at the height of his eloquence, at the peak of his powers of description, fully in command of his immense talent. He begins sketching a raised finger and then two legs in full gallop, stretched out with one foot in the end zone and the other just a millisecond away. As he sketches the jersey and finally the number on the uniform, it becomes clear, even to a casual fan, what moment in John Ward's career Daniel Moore has chosen. Tennessee into an eye formation leading 21 to 7. It's clear what player Daniel Moore has chosen too. Miami in a four-man front. It's Jeff Powell. Jeff Powell. This moment, this moment was immortalized originally on the first day of 1986 but certainly it's worthy of remembrance by the artwork on this canvas. Jeff Powell just came roaring down the green sward that night to not only stick his finger in the air, but to stick a dagger in the heart of any Miami Hurricanes who still thought they had a chance of victory in the 1986 Sugar Bowl. As I speak, without any visual reference in front of you, I'm positive you have the image in your head and the image is crystal clear. But what if I told you it was only thanks to Jeff Powell's grit, stubbornness, self-assurance, and pure love of the game that he was even there at all that night in New Orleans, in that huddle, when this play was called. And when Vol Nation heard this. Five, four, three, two, one, 60 yards, Jeff Powell, touchdown, big VFL Films and the Vol Network, I'm Ben Bates. And I'm Barry Rice. And this is a host of volunteers. Welcome to the show. Well, it looks like some of you share our passion for the Tennessee Football Archive. Thank you for listening. Please rate the podcast and let us know what you think. And Ben, as everyone knows by now, you and me, we are not pros. No, sir. I don't even know that we're experts. Nope. 
I just want people to understand, we just are the guys with keys to the vault, and we like sharing stories and clips, and actually like this one that inspired the name of this podcast. Absolutely. And Tennessee swarms as a host of volunteers. Now, this episode looks back to 1985, to Tennessee versus Miami in the Sugar Bowl specifically to the play that took Tennessee from a 21-7 lead up to a 28-7 lead. It was the nail in the Miami coffin, and the guy with the hammer was Jeff Powell. Big hole, Powell just comes roaring down the green court of the Superdome. Such an iconic moment in Tennessee football history and an iconic player. But for me, it seems like he appeared almost as quickly as he vanished after that night in New Orleans. Ben, in 1985, the Media Guide, which of course is a publication that alerts fans and media to the storylines and gives all the raw information, there was zero mention of Jeff Powell. Not in the Outlook, which was written by Haywood Harris, not on the roster, not even on a page called 1985 Additional Varsity Candidates, which listed a player named Steve Powell, but no Jeff Powell. There's even a section in the 1985 Media Guide listing walk-ons who could contribute and or earn a scholarship, and Jeff Powell is not even mentioned. That's unbelievable. So the question is, what kind of player goes from total obscurity to a complete indelible imprint and impact on the 1985 season? Jeff Powell, senior, Nashville, Tennessee, 60 yards, listen to this foul. So the story begins in Nashville, where Jeff was born and raised. He graduated from White's Creek High School, where he ran track and played football. At least until his senior season, that is, because in his first game of his senior year, he suffered a season-ending injury. Hmm. So Jeff Powell had hopes of being a two-sport scholarship athlete in college. He's a Tennessee guy, so of course he'd love to be wearing orange. But being sidelined at such a critical moment was a setback. But in track, this guy's a hurdler. So what's one more hurdle to clear? Now, at the end of his senior season, having not played, of course he didn't get a Tennessee offer. But he did get an offer from Yale and also one closer to home from William and Mary, where he could play football and run track. So he's obviously being noticed. Yes. So off to William and Mary he went. He kept up with the Vols, though, and from up in Williamsburg, his radio could still pick up the Vol Network and he could still hear moments like this one from the 1983 victory over Alabama. Johnny Jones, or, or as Ward just said, Jonathan Jones. I remember a few years ago when we had Chuck Webb back in town, Johnny Jones was also there, and we had Ward show up at the kickoff Collins yep, show with yeah. both Chuck Webb and Johnny Jones. And sure enough, Johnny Jones walks up to Ward, and without any pushing whatsoever, Ward goes, Jonathan Jones, and they just horse laughed for a minute. It was, it. it was beautiful. Maybe we can post that on the website, the May picture? Oh, definitely. Yeah, great. I know exactly where it is. Okay. 
So Jeff Powell is also an in-state guy. Johnny Jones is an in-state guy. Jeff Powell is a competitor. I just got to believe he had to be thinking, man, that could be me beating Alabama in Birmingham. It was just one of those dreams that uh, Jeff Powell could not shake. Who could blame him? Yeah. Eventually, Jeff realized it was time for a change. He would take his talents to Knoxville. But there was a catch. He could transfer, but playing football would have to wait. When I transferred... I was actually on a track scholarship. So I could transfer and immediately be on scholarship for track, but not for football. I couldn't even go out for football. I had to sit out a year. So in 84, I ran track, did not play football because I had to sit out anyway. One way for the dream not to die is to sort of show off your talents as a trackster. And and I think that was kind of what Jeff was thinking. And so it was time to take the first step. Well, um, in track, I was an All-American hurdler. Yeah. So, um, and I was also, when I got to UT, I was on the uh, four by one relay. I was a leadoff leg on a four by one relay. What, did you have a 40 time? Did they ever time? 427. Shh. Yeah, That's... 427 for scouts. In the spring of 85, I went out, uh, I was still on, on a track scholarship, so I could not, actually practice with the football team. Uh, I had actually talked to Coach Matthews about, hey, this is who I am. This is my situation. I would like to play in 85. Ben, the Coach Matthews he's referring to is none other than Doug Matthews, who was the running backs coach in 1985, and he has a clear memory of this meeting. I'm sitting in my office uh, in 1985, the spring of 1985. This young man comes walking in, good-looking young man, kind of slightly built, uh, had glasses on. He said, Coach Matthews. And I said, yes. He said, I'm Jeff Powell. He said, I'm going to walk on, be a walk-on running back. And uh, from my recollection, he said, okay, you know, everything's fine. Sure. You know, he, you know probably didn't take me very seriously. Sure, whoever you are, come on out. Yeah. Ben, you have to realize, Jeff Powell was not the only guy who ever walked into Matthew's office hoping to walk on at Tennessee. I'm sure this kid didn't occupy a lot of space in Matthew's brain after that initial meeting. I'm sure Coach Matthews assumed he would never see Jeff Powell again. Well, thankfully, Jeff Powell thought otherwise, (laughs) and he saw a green light to realizing this dream. But there was still one more hurdle. Well, the NCAA rules required me to give up my track scholarship to go out for football. I couldn't be on a track scholarship. That was a rule that was in place to prevent uh, major football programs from stockpiling uh, players on other minor sports scholarships. So I couldn't be on a track scholarship and go out for football. So I had to give up my track scholarship take that chance, give up my track scholarship, and go off of football. So you're telling me this guy who has a track scholarship wants to play for Tennessee so badly, he's willing to give up his free ride. Absolutely. The sacrifice just to achieve this dream is incredible in and of itself. Yeah, that's unbelievable. I had no idea. So with that hurdle cleared, he spends his entire summer training and getting ready, and he plans to reconnect with Doug Matthews to remind him of this plan. Maybe a few days before camp started or a week or so before camp started, I just, just to remind them, yeah. you know, this is who I am. I'm coming out for football this yeah. year. Now, Ben, 
again, for Doug Matthews, Powell's desire to play was theoretical back in the spring. Now it's August 1985, and this kid is really here and really wants to play. Obviously. Yeah, let's see what Jeff Powell remembers. Coach Matthews looks at me and says, don't bother. And I love Coach Matthews. Trust me, I love Coach Matthews. He, he's a great. He says, you know, we don't, we don't really know you, and we, we're set at the position. Wow, don't bother. <laughs> I don't know if I could have come back from that. No, but you've got to realize Jeff Powell is just built different. Don't bother to him just means try harder. It sounds like yeah, it. Yeah, and don't hold it against Coach Matthews either. He had so many running backs in the stable, and those are guys he's known for years, he's trained for years, he's heard of. He doesn't even know if this guy can play. Physically, he is small. And one of Matthews' biggest concerns was, can I trust this guy to hold on to the football? I will not hold it against Coach Matthews, and thankfully, Jeff did not either. Exactly. So Coach Matthews was very honest with me. He's like, you know, don't bother coming out. You can't come out. You know, uh, we're set at the position. And I told him, I'm coming out. I'm coming out. You know, he said, okay, okay. So I, I came out and he, uh, he put me at the bottom of the depth chart. But I understood it, yeah. you know, I understood it. And I, like I said, I love Coach Matthews. I love his honesty, his straightforwardness. And uh, he told me not to come out. And so I couldn't <laughs> complain when I was at the bottom of the depth chart. And he said, I just want an opportunity to, to work out. And, and I said, yeah. fine. I said, but I do want you to know. I said, I'll work with you in, in, in individual periods. Uh, you're not going to get hardly any working team at all because we're going to be working the two or three guys. At that time, we had Keith Davis mm -hmm. and Charles Wilson and a few other guys, Pete Panuska, good yeah. players that have been in our program. To give him credit, a lot of guys, I probably would have quit at some yeah. point. But, again, his, he wanted a shot. So even though he told me not to come out, for me that wasn't an option. And, um, I, you know, I was going to come out no matter what. <laughs> now, you're probably starting to realize this is the kind of guy we love. He's a Tennessee guy. He might even be at the bottom of the depth chart, but he was on the team, and it was another hurdle cleared. And if you're going to be on a team, uh, the 1985 team is not a bad one That's to be a good on. One. That's a good one. Things are looking promising. This group might even be special. And Johnny Majors got them all together in the preseason to talk about their goals. Let's think about how bad do we want to be in the top 20. And more importantly, how bad do we want to be in the top 10. And how quick do we want to get there and how much do we want to stay there to compete for the Southeastern Conference Championship and to win a national championship. There are going to be 20 to 25 or 30 teams with a chance to win it. Do we want to be one of those? How bad do we want to be it? You want to set up a top 20? You want to sit there and beg to be in the top 20 the 1st of November? November the 15th, huh? But you want to hurry, start the first game of the season. Jump out there and get after some folks out of start coming out of that shoot ready to go. You want to be in the top 10? You want to stay in the top 10? You want to be out tougher than UCLA. They got some great athletes. You better be tougher to beat them. And better discipline to beat them. We ought to be more disciplined than those guys, and we ought to be tougher than they are. You gotta be tougher than UCLA to beat them. You gotta be better disciplined, you gotta be tougher. Keep that in mind all summer long.
Golly bum, that guy knows how to motivate a team. <laughs> that was not bad. I'm ready to go. No doubt. Now, by the time the team gets back to campus after summer break, Jeff Powell was clearing more hurdles and getting noticed even from the fourth team tailback spot. During the season, uh, I want to say every Tuesday, they had the scout team go up and scrimmage live against the defense just to give the defense some live action yeah. tackling for maybe a period. So maybe 15, yeah. 20 minutes. And I guess Coach Matthews saw me as the only expendable running back on the team. So I can take this guy up here and get him killed and it won't matter. So we would go up to the defensive field uh, and we would scrimmage against them. And I would run fairly well against them. And I think that started to turn the tide a little bit with, with him, with me, uh, where he saw me a little different, differently. From, and, and it was kind of a rivalry between the uh, offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator, kind of a pride thing. So Coach Matthews started to get kind of excited every, every Tuesday, like, pal, let's go. <laughs> so, he, you know, it was a pride thing to kind of run, a, run against the defense and run well and against them with the scout team. <laughs> so uh, he started to like me a little better. As far as making progress with the team, um, the week before we opened up against UCLA, uh, we had a scrimmage, and it was uh, Tennessee versus I mean, uh, yeah, Tennessee versus, I'm going to put this in quote, UCLA. Uh, yeah. So it was the, the ones and twos, if I remember, the ones and twos versus basically the scrubs, yeah. everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a dress rehearsal. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I ran pretty well against the first-team defense. Well enough that uh, the next Monday or Tuesday or so, Coach Majors asked to see me. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, I don't even know if Coach Majors had even talked to me at that point. It was like two or three weeks into camp. Yeah. Like, what, what, you know, what did I do? Yeah. So, you know, I'm nervous as I go up to his office, like, well, wait, what, what have I done? If I remember correctly, he had a projector on. And back then, there were projectors. And uh, it was of the scrimmage. And he basically told me, you know, I really like you. You, you have some ability. He said, you're not afraid. And I wasn't that big at the time. Uh, he said, you're not afraid. You run in there really hard. Uh, and he said, I'm going to give you a, a football scholarship. So within a couple of weeks of, you know, uh, giving up my track scholarship, I had a football scholarship. So that, that uh, uh, indicated a little progress. Coach yeah. Matthews still wasn't having it. <laughs> so he, still, he still wasn't having it. So in fact... This moment signifies the very first mention of Jeff Powell I could find in any publication. No kidding. Yeah. From the September 10th, 1985, News Sentinel, uh, there was an article by Mike Strange. He wrote a vol note section, and it was on that Tuesday paper all the way down at the bottom of page C4. Jeff Powell was awarded a scholarship for his senior season. Powell, a running back, runs hurdles, and relays on the Vol track team. A Nashville native, he transferred to UT last year from William and & Mary, and that's it. Not exactly a headline, 
But the guy's making progress. At least he's getting noticed. And just when he was feeling great about being officially a Tennessee volunteer, the coaches asked him to do something that felt like a demotion. It was a JV game. And they asked me to play in it, Coach uh, Matthews and Coach Harris. And, and they asked me, and I said no. I said, no, I'm not going to play in that. I said, I'm, uh, you know, I'm an All-American in another sport. You know, I represented my country. <laughs> you know, I was on the uh, junior uh, world team and the junior Pan-American team. Like, I'm not a scrub. Right. You know, I'm an All-American. I'm not playing in that JV game. I don't care what you say. I'm not playing. And uh, Coach Matthews talked to me one I mean, Coach uh, Harris yeah. talked to me one day, and he said, you know, he said, you really have some ability. He said, you, you, you haven't played around here because we don't know you. We don't trust you. You know, we don't. We haven't seen you play live. We, so if you want to play here, we have to see you in a game-type situation. So I ended up playing, and I want to say, though, either the first play, our first offensive play or second offensive play, I took a screen pass and went 60, 70 yards with it. So after that game, they saw me a little differently. You know, they, okay, maybe we can trust this guy. So it was after that game that they decided to put me on kickoff return. Oh, wow. But not as the deep guy. Deep guy. I was one of the up men. Right. And if I remember correctly, Pete Panuska yeah. was our deep guy. Right. But at least now they're showing some confidence in me. I'm on the field. Tonight, Georgia Tech comes to Knoxville. Capacity crowd. So we played Georgia Tech. Tech fans are here to see their And it was play. very loud in Nayland Stadium. Yeah. And they, they kick off one time. And the up man, if it's really short, he's supposed to catch it. Right. But if, if the, the deep guy really has the call, if he can't run all the way up there and catch it, he doesn't say anything and the up man catches it. If he can... He calls off the up man. I got it, I got it, I got it. Right. Well, I heard Pete yelling, I got it, I got it, I got it. But this is my opportunity. <laughs> so I ignored him and I caught the ball. And, and uh, you know, I ran with it. Coming downfield relatively short. There's going to be a scramble for the ball at the 10. Tell us he gets to the 15, to the 20, to the 25, out to the 30-yard line. Returning the ball for Tennessee is Jeff Powell. Now, this is the first time Powell's name was called by John Ward. And as our friend Charles Davis likes to say, you're nobody until John Ward calls your name. So thankfully, it would also not be the last time Jeff Powell's name would be mentioned. Now, as John would say to our stations throughout the Vol Network, right now we'll take 60 seconds as we say we'll have more in just one minute. Tennessee fan, you in the orange jacket and the big ball hat. Did you know that the volunteers are on a health kick? Of course, football players have to know how to kick. But I'm talking about staying fit. How do they do it? They drink milk. In fact, this team drinks up to 900 gallons a week during training. Because milk's vitamins and proteins give them all the energy they need. So follow the volunteers' example. Get on America's health kick. Drink milk. Sponsored by the American Dairy Association of Tennessee. Rutgers will be kicking off. Tennessee has Powell. That should be. Is that Jeff back there? Jeff Powell is back deep to receive the kickoff. 
And here it comes downfield and Powell wanders up under the ball at the 8, 10, 15, 20. He can fly to the 25, knock down as he gets to the 27-yard line. When we last heard from Jeff Powell, he finally saw live action in the 1985 Georgia Tech game. Now, to that point, the 85 Vols were 3-1-2. and two. They tied Georgia Tech and UCLA. They lost to Florida. But they beat number one Auburn, they beat Wake Forest, and they beat Alabama. So not bad, huh? Not a bad year. All right. Well, it would take a couple more games before Jeff Powell would see any action other than kickoff returns. At Memphis Memorial Stadium, Tennessee and Memphis State. By the Memphis game, the injuries were piling up. Charles Wilson and Keith Davis. Well, Charles Wilson has joined Keith Davis on the injured list on the Tennessee bench. He, too, has removed his jersey and shoulder pad and is flexing his right shoulder. So both Keith Davis and Charles Wilson, tailbacks number one and two, are out of service for the injury plague volunteers. And it was so funny because then Coach Matthews literally was looking around, and I'm standing right beside him. He's literally looking around, looking over my head, looking behind me. And, and he finally says, Powell, get in there. <laughs> you know, I got to go with you. Get in there. Powell is the tailback for the Volunteers. Here's Powell. Left side. Break the tackle. Has the ball at the 30. Powell at the 25. Powell carries the ball down to the 25-yard line. And it should be enough for the first down. Jeff Powell through the left side. Cuts back across the grade. So now for the first time, the fans are aware of a guy named Jeff Powell. And it only took nine games into the 1985 season, Ole Miss. This will be the pitch to the tailback. Jeff Powell slicing his way first foul to the four-yard line. And Dickey hands on a reverse to Powell going to the wide side, up to the 25, to the 30, cuts back to the 35, hands the ball at the 40, and it is Powell all the way out to the 45-yard line. Okay, Ben, here's a side note. In the 1985 Ole Miss game, that was the first game I ever worked for television in any way. Wow. I know. I weaseled my way onto the WTBS TV crew sure that day. You did. My job was Parab, and I couldn't have had a better job. A Parab is the little round microphone, and it's designed to capture the sounds of the game. The thing is, the guy holding the Parab, he has to be positioned on the sideline just inside the team area. That was my gig, and it was the best day of my short 21 years of life. That's a dream job. No doubt. So in the span of two months, Jeff Powell has risen from unknown to fourth team to contributor and is now even being sought out by our late friend and longtime Vol Network staffer, Jeff Jacoby, for a locker room interview. This is Jeff Jacoby back in the Tennessee locker room following today's win over Ole Miss and with me running back Jeff Powell. And what about looking ahead? Uh, can the Tennessee offense expect to keep up this kind of point production as we move toward the conference championship? We're going to have to to beat Kentucky and Vanderbilt. We can't uh, sit back and rely on our defense all the time. They're playing great now, but uh, as an offensive unit, we have to put points on the board also. Okay, Jeff Powell running back for the Vols. They had a big part in today's victory. Now back to Randy at Network Control. So like Barry Rice, Jeff Powell <laughs> is living a dream. Loving it. But he was not alone. The team was living a dream. It had been 16 years since Tennessee had won an SEC championship. An entire fan base was living the dream too. And it was great for the players. It was unbelievable. It was great because... It, it brings back the joy of football. 
you know, when you when you're winning like that and every game matters, you have to understand when we were going down the stretch, every single game mattered for us. We couldn't lose. You know, it kind of seems like it was a foregone conclusion, but you're playing Ole Miss, you know, you're playing Kentucky, you're playing Vanderbilt, you've got the Sugar Bowl on the line. Those games were fun because they were so meaningful. That team, we were seven points away from being undefeated. Nine points away from, I guess, from being undefeated untied. Yeah. Think about that. Hell yeah. That's a great, great team. We had an offense that could do everything. Yep. So you couldn't cover everything on defense. Whatever you wanted to take away from us, right. fine. We'd do the opposite. Right. And we Because we could do it just as well. And then our defense was unbelievable. Just amazing defense that I want to say gave up maybe six, seven points a game yeah. the last six or seven games of the year. To be precise, here are those defensive stats. Nicknamed the Orange Crush, this defense allowed only 140 total points and allowed only four touchdowns in the final seven games. In the final six games, they held three opponents scoreless. Doug Matthews remembers it too. We didn't have a, a lot of, matter of fact, we didn't have many great players uh, when you go back and look. Yeah. But we had a bunch of really, really good players that made great plays like Dale Jones and Chris White mm -hmm. and, you know, folks like, it, you know, Daryl Dickey. Those, those guys were never going to play pro football. Uh, and, and then we had some special players too. Now, don't get me wrong. Oh, but, yeah. but by and large, they were just a good bunch of really good football players that had high football IQs. Listen, in 20 years of coaching and then following it for another bunch I've never played with the uh, been around a player or played with a player for that matter that had the football IQ of Dale Jones. Yeah, Dale Jones had a football IQ. That's why he's still coaching. Yeah. Now the drive to the Superdome continued in Lexington, Kentucky, where for the first time Jeff Powell was the starting tailback for the Tennessee Volunteers. Jeff Powell is coming of age. He actually is the fourth tailback. And Tennessee's alignment, certainly as far as when the season started, he was not even being counted on. Handoff, left side, Powell. Powell juking and spinning and twisting and turning and battling past midfield. Powell at the 20, Powell at the 15. Powell carries him around to the 12-yard line. He's tackled as he gets to the 12, and that was just nifty running on the inside. He sort of flowed back and forth, shifting and going and accelerating, and finally it was carrying the ball Powell for a sizable gain. So the stakes were this. You win the game against Vanderbilt, and we're going to New Orleans to play Miami. Lose, and we get a set of steak knives. <laughs> a new record crowd of over 97,000 fans showed up to watch, and we won. But let's listen again. Let's do. Tennessee and Vanderbilt. That's the bill affair this afternoon at Neyland Stadium in Knoxville. Dickey wants to throw across the middle. There's the man giving things. Touchdown, Tim McGee! The pass across the middle, intercepted Tennessee. Pull down at the 30, back to the 35, back to the 40. Still with the ball, Charles Davis to the 45. On his feet, he carries the ball, fumbles it, picked up by Tennessee and recovered at the 48-yard line by Terry Brown. Here's the pass deep. The man's wide open. Swanson at the 10. Swanson at the 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Give him 6. Eric 
Swanson, touchdown, Big Orange. He fumbles the football at the 39-yard line, and it's been recovered by the Big Orange. A host of orange-clad volunteers pouncing on a bounding ball, and the man who makes the recovery is Dale Jones. Pulled down on the near side by Swanson. Swanson gets the ball at the, 20, at the 15. Swanson is wrapped up. Breaks free from the defender. Holt has the ball at the 10. At the 5, it is Eric Swanson scoring for the Volunteers. Touchdown, Big Orange. It's been announced that Tennessee will, if the Volunteers can hold on with this 30 to nothing lead, 5 minutes and 12 seconds to go. Well, don't laugh at me, Russ. It can happen that Tennessee will receive and will accept a bid to the Sugar Bowl, and that will occur with a post-game ceremony. I think uh, there may be an explosion, John. They may be minus some goalposts when this is over with because I think it's just built up. They're just sitting here now kind of quiet, uh, just enjoying it. You can just feel it. Nobody's leaving. Some Vanderbilt fans, I'm sure, leaving to beat the crowd and head back to the mid-state area. But the rest of the Tennessee fans are here experiencing an afternoon they've been waiting for since 1969. The public address announcer, Mr. Denton, is admonishing fans, do not come on to the playing field. Do not interfere with the ceremony. Maybe they should have him go down there and try to hold them back. And the crowd is alive as Tennessee is moving to the Southeastern Conference Championship. Tennessee's players also celebrating, knowing that they'll be spending their New Year's holiday in New Orleans in the Superdome. Okay, Ben, sorry. Side note number two. I previously mentioned that the best day of my short life was the day I got to stand on the sideline and hold a parab, but that best day ever lasted just two weeks because I returned to the WTBS TV crew for the Vanderbilt game. And believe it or not, and certainly I did not, I was asked to assist the cameraman in the post-game locker room celebration. Unbelievable. I know, it was the new best day ever, and it sounded like this. Don't give a damn about the whole school of Vanderbilt. We're from oh, Tennessee. Oh, man. Yeah. Can we say we don't give a damn either? <laughs> I think officially, yes. This podcast doesn't give a damn about the whole school of Vanderbilt. Can, can we say we, that? Can we? We just did. Okay, good. <laughs> this sounds like a good spot to take a break. To our sponsors along the network, we'll be back in just one minute. Friends, this is Louis Gideo. I've just finished talking with a good friend who had gone out to Del Mahine's Pontiac and bought a Pontiac 6000. He enthusiastically thanked me for sending him to Del Mahine's Pontiac. Quote, Louis, those people at Del Mahine's Pontiac are great. They gave me the best deal I have ever seen at terms I could afford with no stream. Friends, people everywhere tell me that. Del Mahine's Pontiac, Alcor Highway, at the airport. Thanks, friend. So the matchup was set. 
the Miami Hurricanes ranked number two versus the Tennessee Volunteers ranked number eight. The coaching staff wasted little time in getting ready. You know what kind of team Miami is. You believe what you're hearing. They're a damn good team. At what point, and maybe it was the first day, did you think, man, we got a chance? Well, let me let me take you back to what happened then. Of course, I grew up in Oklahoma. Yeah, uh, I was very close to a bunch of the coaching staff. Bobby Proctor, who coached me at Vanderbilt. Larry Lacewell, who eventually took my place, actually, yeah. as defense mm-hmm. coordinator five yep. years later. Uh, so Oklahoma had played Miami, and Miami had beaten them earlier in the year. Yeah. All right. Uh, Oklahoma's going to the Orange Bowl to play Penn State. Mm-hmm. And, of course, at that time, we knew that we were going to be playing Miami, and they did too. Well, they had one game left. They had one game left uh, after after our last game. So I actually flew out to Norman that Thursday before the game, got all their notes. They wanted us to win. They gave us snap counts. They knew a lot about Jimmy Johnson because he had been at Oklahoma yeah. State. Yeah. And they, so they give us all their cut-ups, everything that they're what we would call lessons. Here's what yeah. we did against them that we was good. Here's what we didn't do, snap counts, things like that. Stayed and watched the ball game yeah. and then flew back in. That's incredible. I've never heard that before about the cooperation between Oklahoma and Tennessee. Uh, All I have to say on that is Boomer Sooner. Well, let's hold that off. We do play them next year. (laughs) Oh, that's correct. Don't get carried away. Okay, never mind. (laughs) When the players return to campus for bowl practice, what do you think the message was from the coaches to the players? Uh, The first thing Coach Majors told us was we can beat this team. We're going to beat this team. They had been looking at film of Miami and um, had seen some things that we could exploit and knew our strengths. Uh, And that was the first thing he said to us. The very first thing he said, we're going to beat this team. And so we all believed it. We we were really confident in what we could do. Yeah. Uh, we really – Tim McGee was a great wide receiver. I mean, he was as good as anybody in America. Yeah. Uh, we knew that we were going to run the ball well enough, and we knew defensively that, we, you know, when yeah. you know that you maybe 17, 21 points will win a game, yeah. you can do some things on offense. We wanted to control the ball, physically get after them, uh, all the things that we had been doing. Yep. But uh, we we had so much confidence. One thing that I learned coaching at Tennessee and in the league, SEC. If you win the SEC championship, I don't care who you are. Yeah. If, if you're the SEC champion, you can beat anybody in the country because you've gone through a gauntlet. Yeah. So we 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 were very confident where we were. Uh, we knew that they were cocky. Miami cocky? Surely not. That was who they were back then, and it started at the top. Jimmy Johnson was their head coach. And Ben, by the way, I had to mention, Jimmy Johnson used to work for Johnny Majors, so you think he was a little motivated too? I would say so, especially when word started getting back to the Tennessee coaches about the way the opponent was behaving on Bourbon Street. Even offensive line coach Philip Fulmer was hearing about it. Well, I mean, the, the arrogance of Miami, uh, honestly, down in the French Quarter, you know, kind of, uh, I heard the stories, you know, when they yeah. would come back to practice and they would come in uh, at night. Coach, uh, coach had uh, the first three or four days always had a midnight curfew, and our guys in the meetings would always say, "You know these these Miami guys are a bunch of jerks. <laughs> <laughs> you know they're a bunch of they use yeah, more stronger yeah. language than that." By game day, Jeff Powell could not believe the size of the crowd. 
Now, I'm not talking about the crowd in the Superdome. <laughs> We're talking about the crowd at the team hotel. We left our hotel rooms, and we, we came downstairs on the elevator. As soon as the elevator opened, you couldn't move. The only thing you saw was just a sea. I don't know how the fans knew when we were coming down. I don't know if they just assembled, you know, two hours ahead of time when they thought we might be leaving. Uh -huh. But the hotel lobby was, it was like a gauntlet. You know, this, and it was, they were lined up from right at the, at the elevator. Yeah. So as soon as we stepped off the elevator, we were, you know, we had people this close to us on both sides. I'll just... And leading all the way from the elevator to the buses, to outside of the hotel to the buses. Yeah. So that's just how crazy our fans were and excited they were for this game. Yeah. Um, and so that got us going already, right? The, it was maybe three hours before the game or something. Yeah. And we were already pumped up just, just because of that. And it was only going to get bigger, better, and louder but first, Johnny Majors had a few pregame words to share, and this comes from the VFL Films Vault. Well, let's hope the fun has just started. And the only way for fun to start is for us to keep our minds on our business and play like the Tennessee Volunteers Southeastern Conference champions know how to play. And that's good enough to beat anybody and everybody on any given day. You know that, and I know that. First five minutes of the game. These are things that got us where we are. First five minutes, poised at all times, whether we are ahead, tied, or behind. Discipline, intimidation factor. I want to reiterate that again. They don't have any respect for you. Make them remember you as long as they live. The way you hit, and the way you knock them down downfield, and the way we hustle. Attack, 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 always attack. And by all means, have fun. What's it all about? You don't have a good time out there. That has to be my all, one of my all-time favorite <laughs> pregame speeches. Yeah, it's pitch perfect. Yeah, definitely. Love Coach Majors. After that speech, Doug Matthews was blown away by the reception Tennessee got. And then I'll never forget, our locker room was at the, we come out, the whichever end zone it was, our mm -hmm. locker room was on the other end. So we had to walk in the belly of the Superdome, and you could hear the crowd out there. Yeah. I mean, I thought they stomping their feet and everything. And then when we came through the tee, the, you know, that, that other end zone, I don't know what, 95%. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was, it was bigger than any home game. And the, the sound and in, inside that stadium, you know. Here's the roar for the volunteers. They haven't even come out of the tunnel yet. They're just, the crowd is reacting to the band, which will be forming the T. And when Tennessee's band does form that giant T, I'm sure that will engender another crescendo as the Tennessee team now is out in the tunnel to your right. Down below, the Pride of the Southland Band, directed by Dr. Jay Julian, who is completing his silver anniversary. There's the T, ladies and gentlemen. The volunteers are jumping and waiting and waiting for that signal for them to come racing onto the field. And we'll hold it right here as the University of Tennessee football team. It is, ladies and gentlemen, it's football time in Tennessee. Let's take a second to recap exactly where we've been with Jeff Powell. Put yourself in his shoes, taking in this scene, a kid who just wanted a shot. 
Mm-hmm. And now he's at center stage of a college football spectacle. Amazing. It is amazing to think about the timeline of this journey. I guess it was late July, August when I talked to Coach Matthews, yeah. going from don't even don't bother to come out yeah. to January 1st, a few months later, starting actually being the starter in the Sugar Bowl. It's it was a crazy unbelievable journey that you never would have thought I would have gone from A from this point A to this point. That's the story of Jeff Powell. The story of that night, well, that story is best told by John Ward, live and in the moment nearly 35 years ago. Flashbulbs flashing all over the place as people with cameras are taking pictures of Tennessee racing onto the field. Miami got on the scoreboard first, and it would take until the start of the second quarter for Tennessee to answer. But what an answer. The blitz. Dickey in trouble. Skips out. Throws it all into the end zone. Give him six. Touchdown! Jeff Smith! What a play by Darrell Dickey! As Dickey eluded a split, he stepped out to his right, and there, wide open, from Milan, Tennessee, Jeff Smith for a touchdown. For Miami, the pressure was getting to them. Peppers are flaring, and Bill, you could see that even during the warm-up, that these teams are certainly revved up, and there is some... Uh, I would not say bad feelings, but I guess I would say there are some bad feelings already uh, demonstrated in this game. (laughs) I would not say there's bad feelings, (laughs) but I guess I would say there are some bad feelings. I love that, guys. So to this point, Jeff Powell has not scored a touchdown for Tennessee in 1985. And just when it looks like that was about to change, a funny thing happened. The ball's in an eye formation. Handoff Powell, left side, cuts back to the interior. He's at the five, he's at the four, he's at the three, he's at the two, he's at the one. He is hit, he fumbles the ball. It has been recovered in the end zone, I think, by Tennessee. Let's wait and see. Give him six. Touchdown, Tennessee! Tim McGee recovered the fumble by Powell, who was... So, if you recall, Ben, Doug Matthews had a concern all along about Jeff holding on to the football. So here we are, and that's proven to be a valid concern. Yeah. Fortunately, Tim McGee was in the right place at the right time, and Tennessee takes the lead 14-7. to But remember, Jeff Powell is a competitor, and that's got to be eating at him. He wants the ball, and he wants the touchdown. Sounds like another hurdle to me. <laughs> the first half ends 14-7, to and in the third quarter, Tim McGee is again in the right place at the right time with the right skills. Skipping McGee to the left side. They'll double cover him as Dickey takes a straight drop. Steps up into the pocket, looks into the end zone, rifles the pass. Did he catch that ball? He caught that ball at the five-yard line, and it will be for Tennessee. First down, 10 to go! Timothy McGee! Bill Anderson, I'm not sure we can hear you. I'm going to adjust your mic as best we can. What a catch by McGee. Well, he had triple coverage in there on him, John. There was people, two on the either side, one behind him. He rifled it in. McGee adjusted, came back a little bit for the ball, made a great catch. For Tennessee, it will be second down, about a foot to go, as the Volunteers come to the line with Wilson and Henderson behind Daryl Dickey in a power eye set. Wilson is the standing tailback. This is Sam Henderson banging. Give him six. Touchdown, 
penalty. Henderson grinds into the end zone. And so the big 260-pound junior finds the land of milk and honey in Tennessee lead in this football game by a score of 20 to 7. And Sam Henderson has come to play. Okay, before we move forward, how about a little flashback? And, and I'll do a flashback effect. Let's go back to Oklahoma. Doug Matthews is in the film room with Larry Lacewell, and they see something, and they realize there just might be a play that'll work. But they need the right situation at exactly the right time. And now here we are. Well, it's time. Yes. With the score 21 to 7, first down and 10 yards to go, the coaches have a play they've been waiting to call. But what we saw against Miami was they ran a 4-3 defense. There were not a lot of 4-3 defenses right. back then. And we we saw that when someone someone that they had played had shifted, started with a tight end and shifted out, and they didn't make an adjustment to it. We saw that we could get an advantage by So we had just our tight end, who had just missed, split out. We had our one of our wide receivers lined up as a tight end on the right side. Jeff was split out on the left, and then we shifted Jeff in to tight end on the left side. People can remember this play. Yep. And shifted our wide receiver back out to kind of a twin set on the other side. Well, they didn't adjust. The call in the huddle was six or seven. It, it, n- nothing, nothing fancy. The right or left? <laughs> right. Six or seven. It, it was either going to be off tackle to the right yeah. or off tackle to the left. Yeah. We go to the line of scrimmage, Daryl calls seven. Uh, it's simple. Yeah. At the snap of the ball, well, before the ball was snapped, I noticed that the middle linebacker, George Meyer Jr., he looked antsy to me. I, I, so I, I felt like he was going to blitz. He looked like he was going to blitz. He was just on his toes, yeah. kind of leaning forward, trying not to give it away. I, it looked to me like I kept an eye on him. I think he's going to blitz. When the ball was snapped, I was supposed to take a hesitation step to the left and then go off tackle. Well, when I took the hesitation step, I saw that he was blitzing. So I took a wider path than I normally, than I was supposed to take uh, to avoid him. And Daryl saw that and came out a little wider to stick the ball in, in, my, in my stomach. Um, and going out just a little wider allowed me to avoid Myra Jr. Jeff Powell, immortality awaits. Miami in a four-man front. Give Powell, right side 40, 45, 50, gets outside 45, 40, 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 60 yards. Jeff Powell, touchdown, Big Island. Tennessee, 60 yards, big block. Bruce Wilkerson, 6'5", 258 junior, Philadelphia. Big hole, Powell just comes roaring down the green cord of the Philadelphia. They had one of the Blades brothers. I forget whether it was Benny or the other one at safety who was a track guy. Yeah. And if you watch that tape and if you go back and everybody can see it, kind of see it in their eyes now. As Jeff hit that left, broke outside and hit that left sideline, the safety has a good angle on him. It looks like. Okay, it's going to be a 10, 12-yard run. And all of a sudden, you see Jeff just, it, it was like a car going by, a truck up on box. Yeah. That explosion. They had no idea. They, they hadn't seen him much. 
yeah. they had no idea how fast he was. Of course, he was a blur going down that sideline. Oh, yeah. I saw him coming. So when, you, when you're a guy like me who had speed, you know, a big guy may have tried to run over him. Yeah. Uh, for me, a guy with speed, you automatically think sideline. Yeah. So I just pivoted a little bit. I had to, because I was kind of going to the right towards the middle because I had taken a wide path. And when I straightened back up to go through the hole, I was kind of going towards him in the yeah. middle. So I had to again adjust to head left to go towards the sideline. If you look at that play, he was measuring me. He was measuring me. And he, he was just shocked, I think, by the speed that I generated that fast, switching yeah. directions. So I changed directions and then just generated so much speed so fast that when he realized it, he reached for me and it was, it was too late. Oh, just come roaring down the green cord of the Superdome. But I, I do, I get a kick out of that uh, when they say, uh, uh, and Blades has world-class speed. I think they said something about his holding the high school state record for the 400 in the state of Florida. And it's funny because I thought, well, I hold the state record. I still do. In the 110-meter high hurdles, a race that's shorter than the 400. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they didn't know that because they, they didn't know anything about me. So I just thought that was a kick. He wasn't supposed to catch me is what I'm saying. Tennessee, 60 yards. Jake Block, Bruce Wilkerson, 6'5", Jr., Philadelphia. And leave it to the former offensive line coach to give credit where credit is due. Just a tremendous job up front by our offensive line, by our, by our uh, particularly our Harry Galbraith, our All-American offensive guard. Miller, I think, was our fullback right there, yep. finishing off the defensive end, and a lot of good blocks by Todd Kirk and John Bruin on the right side, Daryl Smith on the right side. And, of course, the great player there of all of them that played a long time in the league was Bruce Wilkerson, you know, blocking on down on the defensive lineman. You see Harry locking up a... What is it, 92 there, yeah. I guess? Yeah. Jeff Powell hit it running and never had to slow down. Had one guy to beat. But the formation design was really, really good because we made them declare to the field and then the strength of our formation actually ended up on the, uh, on the, uh, on the opposite side. Right. So it was a perfect play for the, the, the defense that they ran that play. It was the perfect play for that. With this play... The timing was everything. Yeah, out of curiosity, so you, what you saw and you thought you could trick him and you did, did it get run any before that? No, no, no. We, we were waiting for the right time to run it. Uh, we, it, had to be, uh, it, it had to be on a certain area on the field. Yeah. Uh, and we had a checkoff play to it. That, the thing that was so good about Daryl was, you know, Daryl, uh, he, he knew he was going to be a coach, and he was around a lot of good coaches. He was the perfect guy to do it because if we had not got the look, they, they could have changed the look yeah. because, you know, they're going they, they're going up against a different team too. Right. If they changed the look, we would probably ran the slant play to the right instead of the left, but they didn't change, and it was a gaping hole. I could have still ran about five yards on it, <laughs> many years <laughs> removed from playing tailback. But, uh, but Jeff had the ability, and then he popped that ball outside and then uh, – and down the side, down that left sideline, he went, and then kept running across the end zone and back up the field the whole bit. I was just excited. I was excited, man. I was excited, and my teammates were jumping on me, and I was trying to get away from them because I wanted to go. You know, it looks funny if you look at it, but I, I, I remember very vividly what I was trying to do. 
I was really taunting Miami. Uh, if you look at it, because I was, I had my hands up and I was looking at them. I was taunting them because of how much we had gone through during the week. Yeah. Everywhere we went, we saw Miami players. They were taunting us. They were talking trash. They wanted to fight. Yeah. You know, they were talking on the field. Yeah. So I was, I wanted to taunt them. You know, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, you know, 22 years old. Yeah. You know, it's not something I probably do today, but it's 22 year old kid after something like that, and I was very excited. So I was trying to get away from my teammates so I could go and 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 taunt Miami a little bit. So he probably didn't know how to act when he got there. Yeah, you know, you know a, that old saying, "Act like you've been there before." I don't think he'd ever been there before. <laughs> that's a great point. So, have you listened to the calls, John Ward? And I've heard it. Yeah, obviously. What yeah. did you think, like the first time you heard the call? I, I think I had chills. You know, it's. I mean, you're talking about a legendary announcer. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. Um, yeah, I had I had chills. Well, Jeff wasn't the only one. Vol Nation had chills. The Canes were done but not the volunteers, and certainly not John Ward. Love it. There's a quick toss downfield. It is intercepted white. 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45, 40, 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Knocked out of bounds at the 2-yard line. Melvin Bratton made the tackle. Chris White made the interception, and he races back downfield to set up another. Tennessee score, another Tennessee turnover, another interception by Chris White. That's 10 for the year for the senior from Cleveland, Tennessee. And the volunteer fans come alive at the Superdome as if they had not been alive throughout this game, throughout this week. And now Daryl Dickey comes lumbering onto the field. Power eye set left. Handoff Wilson coming to the near side. He's at the four, at the three, at the two, at the one. It is a touchdown, Big Orange, oh, Wilson. Wilson used Henderson's block, and Tennessee is on the board again. It's Tennessee 34, Miami 7. And the Volunteers are six minutes away from knocking off the nation's number two football team. We'll let you share the enthusiasm a big night in the Ben, before we go, while the door to the vault is wide open and we're looking at the 85 season, let's divert from our story on Jeff Powell just to marvel at that defense. Sure. Here's Doug Matthews and the best of the defense from that night. And Ken Donahue, I can't go through without saying, 1985. Uh, Ken came in for spring practice in 85. I truly believe we were probably about a, a eight and three, seven and four football team talent-wise yeah. in the league. Yeah. Ken Donahue was the difference. Testaverde's in trouble, and Testaverde is going to be sacked! Testaverde is sacked! Here's an all-out blitz. Here's Testaverde, sacked! Tennessee comes with a new look. A new alignment for Tennessee, Bill Anderson, and they drop Testaverde for another, that's his fourth sack, this time minus 10. Uh, I have seen him going, you know, most of the time he gets a game plan in by Thursday. Right. I've seen him put in a stunt, a blitz. That's a true story. I've seen him put in a blitz, taking the bus from the hotel to the game. <laughs> 
two and a half hours for the game because he, he saw something there that he liked. Now it's breaking down. Now Tesverdi has hit almost the football. Colonel C has recovered the Tesverdi fumble. But the big thing was he let his players play. He yeah. was tough on them. But if Dale Jones said, Coach, I think we can do this, do it. And he would always talk to his players. He'd say, what's happened to you out there? Testaverde rolling to the near side. That's all he's going to be. Scored down on his back. Glenn Bennett. Glenn Bennett is there, and Testaverde never had a chance. And, uh, and then he created a lot of chaos. A lot of chaos. He had to play a lot of man coverage with him. Yeah. But he was going to get after you. And uh, as Testaverde found out, he had some pretty good ways of getting after you. Miami splits the running back. Tennessee in a five-man front. Testaverde back to throw. Setting, looking across the middle. Intercepted Tennessee. Intercepted Darren Miller, who makes the interception at the three-yard line. Returns to the five. The defense again. You know, you would things that you would think you were going to get out of it, particular defensive front you wouldn't get get with him he would he would do things that you would say you're not supposed to do I think the city of New Orleans will be rocking tonight after this game it has been rocking and it probably will be the greatest of all time certainly for Tennessee fans as back to throw is Toretto gets some pressure there he puts the ball up the air it's going to be intercepted Davis with the 15 to the 20 looks for block he gets to the 25 turns the corner to the far side but uh, he brought that extra to that defense because of his, you know, his, his great, he, he was the assistant coach of my generation. Bill, that's the stuff of which great stories are written. It has been a storybook year for the orange and white. There's no question, John. This has been the most unbelievable year, I believe, that I've been around. This football team, They've got heart, and I'll tell you what, you've got to give them credit. They deserve, they didn't just win the Sugar Bowl, they dominated. When you take a football team like Miami and hold them to seven points, you have done something defensively. Offensively, uh, they came in and took advantage of the break. It was a total team effort. These kids came here to play, and brother, they played. This was one heck of a football game. So after that night, after Jeff Powell surges to immortality, just as quickly as he appeared, he was gone, and Tennessee fans would never see him again in orange. He got drafted by the Chicago Bears, who had just won the Super Bowl and would go down as one of the best teams in football history. In fact, Ben, they had a guy on the team named Walter Payton at tailback. Yeah. So they really didn't need Jeff Powell there, even though they drafted him. What they did was they switched him to receiver, which he had never played in his life. Uh, but injuries just sort of kept him from getting a good shot and a good look. The NFL dream took a step back. And wouldn't you know, there was another dream waiting to be realized for Jeff Powell. But then I was applying to law school, uh, and I got into law school with Vanderbilt and just decided to, you know, let me stop chasing this dream and let me go be a lawyer. I love how he just casually throws <laughs> that in. Vanderbilt Law School. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of a big deal. Only one of the most selective law schools in America. Yeah, no surprise, though. No. When Jeff Powell wants something, he's not going to be denied. Today, he's an attorney working in Nashville. And with what we know about Jeff Powell, with his grit and determination and stubbornness, 
I wouldn't be shocked to one day see him become a Supreme Court justice, especially if the Chief Justice tells him, like a former coach once did, don't bother. Thanks for listening to a host of volunteers. A host of volunteers is hosted by Ben Bates. It's written and produced by Barry Rice. Archives are provided by the Vol Network and VFL Film. Sound design and technical support, Paul Jones, Ben Altshuler, and Aurelation Music. Check out photos and episode notes at our website, ahostofvolunteers.com. A site created by Joe Holt at Fish Trap Enterprises. And finally, and most importantly, thanks to the Letterman's Club and Chris Wampler and all the players. Without them, we'd have no show. So thank you to all the legends. Until we meet again, thank you and good afternoon.